All right, good morning, everyone. Um, so this morning, we had a lot of activity going on here today at the Pearl Church. Um, so I want to first of all greet all of our online friends, all of our online family today. Uh, church here, will you please welcome the online folks? That would pretty much be everybody. So today, in, in the middle of 2020, in a pandemic, in a snowstorm, we also had a water main break. So we're baptizing people downstairs right now in the basement. Uh, that's about all we can do today, but because water is connected to not only the bathrooms and everything else, it also runs our heat and we can't make coffee. So you know that we're going to have to resist the devil on the coffee, okay? So what we did is we pulled an audible today and we had everybody just kind of stay home and we had a few people uh, who did come in today and they're sitting here around the, around the service. Thank you for being here. I'm so sorry that we couldn't just have a, a normal Sunday, but I haven't had a normal Sunday in eight months. So... Uh, but God's good, all right, God's good. And uh, I'm gonna jump into something this morning today. We're, we're starting a new series. Uh, this is going to be our Heart for the House month. Now, uh, for the last 11 years, we've had what's called Heart for the House. One time a year, we take an offering and we take, this is a very special offering because this offering is for ministry. It doesn't go to the, to the regular uh, budget. It doesn't go to pay the bills. It doesn't, uh, doesn't go to uh, fix water mains, maybe. I don't know. But, but it's a special offering that we use. And what I want to do is I want to begin that series with you today, okay? So I had a message this morning. I'm still going to preach it. But this morning I had props I had people all lined up to do some fun stuff today. I had basketball hoops that were going to be on the stage. And uh, so I'm, I'm having to change it up a little bit, but I still want to deliver the same message. And, and I want to pray and then, and then we'll jump in. Father, I thank you so much for your goodness and for your grace. I thank you, Jesus, that you have given us all that we need so that we can live a life that honors you. You've given us everything that we need, beginning with your son, Jesus, who died on the cross and paid for our sins. But it's so much more than that. It's, it's not just prosperity in terms of finance. It's, it's health, it's spirit, it's emotions, it's all of those things. You've given us everything that we need. And so today we begin by saying thank you. And we want you to know how grateful we are. We want, we want you to know how much we love you. And I, I pray, Father, this morning for all of those that are online, those that would have been here this morning, but all of those across the country that are a part of our online family. I want to just say, Lord, bless them today and strengthen them today. Um, I, I thank you from, from New York to Seattle, Washington, and everything in between, all of our new friends and family that are online. We love you so much. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing. We pray in your precious name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Okay, this morning, I want to do a message to introduce Heart for the House that I believe has never been more apropos than it is in this moment right now. Now, we all know that 2020 has been a total dumpster fire, okay? Um, but in times when things get challenging, those are the moments where we have to make sure that we keep our spirit right. We gotta make sure that we keep our attitude right. We gotta make sure we keep our spirit right. It's not just 2020, it's, it's floods and fires. And I saw last night in the news that the killer hornets have made a comeback and um, we broke a water main, okay? So it's all of those things, but we have to make sure that we keep our heart right and we keep our spirit right. 
And what I, what I mean by spirit is, is that, I mean, there's nothing in the Bible you're ever going to find that tells us that we're supposed to take on a position of, of um, apathy or a position of defeatism. That's just not in the kingdom of God. It's not in the heart of God. As a matter of fact, Jesus, we already know because of the Bible what happens in the end. We win in the end. Somebody say amen in your living room with your breakfast burrito. So what happens is, is that if we're not careful, then this life that we're living, which is meant to, to draw out of us the character of God and the strength of God, and might be, this might be the ultimate test. Those things that are, it's supposed to draw out of it, if we're not careful, we begin to step into the flesh. We begin to move over into our own thoughts and we open the door for the enemy to come in. We just have to be very careful, especially in a time like this. But can I just, I wanna say this to you. When, when things get tough, God gets tougher. And he begins to stir his people for things that maybe they haven't been stirred for in a long time. There, there are things that even as I'm standing in this room, I was reminded this morning that we inherited a property that, you know, um, is, is pretty famous in the area. Every, everybody from Catherine Coleman to Dr. Cho, politicians, healing evangelists, um, Corey Ten Boom. I remember I got a picture of Corey Ten Boom, if you know who that is, sitting in my office against a brick wall where I sit. I've got a picture of her just sitting there. And, and throughout about 40 or 50 years, some of the greatest evangelists and greatest ministries in the world have preached on this platform. I, I started thinking about how God moves in every generation and God moves in every season and God moves and, and even standing here today, I'm, I'm here to declare to you that God is still moving regardless of a snowstorm, regardless of a pandemic, regardless of a water main, regardless of no coffee. God still moves. There, there's something that's in the spirit and it's in the air. And uh, this morning, I want to talk to you, uh, my message is called, and this is the series, the series title for Heart for the House this year is uh, Church on Offense. Church on Offense. And uh, four weeks from now, we're gonna take a special offering. Last year, in the middle of transitioning, we actually raised in one offering over $300,000 in one Sunday, just in cash, and then another couple of hundred thousand. And over the past year, we've used that, that, uh, that money, those finances, to start remodeling this building and getting ready for the future. But we also did things like feed hundreds, hundreds, I think almost 700 people um, on Thanksgiving. 700 people had Thanksgiving dinners that, that we prepared for them and, and Christmas gifts that went out to children all over the city. And we've given to people in the church. And even like the two, the two pastors that, that you saw um, in, the, in the video, I'm gonna show a couple of pastors every week um, church, what I want you to know is that that offering actually has been sown into over 20 churches, missionaries all over the world. We have taken care of pastors and families and whole congregations. I am not exaggerating. Listen to me, I'm not exaggerating. If you think the pandemic was bad here, you should go to Mexico. You should go to Africa. You should go to parts of Asia. You're, you know, some of these pastors, Pastor James and Jenny, who you saw, incredible pastors, an incredible church, just those two pastors alone represent a couple of thousand people uh, or more that were having services. Every church that I know of overseas lost more than 80%, almost 90% of their income in just four weeks. 
I want you to know, church, that our Heart for the House offering, I'm telling you, we fed thousands of people overseas. We helped uh, entire families and staffs on multiple campuses and churches all over the world that could feed their family and get through the pandemic. Because when we lost 30% of our tithe, they lost maybe 80 or 90% of their tithe. And when our tithe started to come back up in the middle of a pandemic, why does God do that? He does that because there are certain times and certain moments and certain houses where God will move finance through so that they can become a blessing to other people. But God has to be able to trust those houses. And whether I have $10 or $10 million, I'm telling you the issue is stewardship and trust. We have to be trustworthy. We have to be faithful. And, and the way that we lose our trustworthiness, the way that we stumble in our faithfulness is if we become a defensive church. If we become a defensive church and we're not an offensive church, then all of a sudden I'm not sure why we're doing anything that we're doing. And Heart for the House is a really big deal. We've taken it 11 years in a row. It got us into our old building and that was for a season. Man, it's, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you something, it is hard. When you put hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars into a building and then God says, walk away from it and give it to another church because I have something at another level for you. And because you were faithful and because you sowed, and because if you stop sowing, I'll stop giving. That's what Jesus says in Corinthians. You stop giving, you stop using it, then it'll, it'll stop coming. He said, give it all away. We give away hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars in remodels and stuff to another church. We even paid their lease for months and months. It cost us $15,000, $20,000 a month to help another church get into our old building so that they could have a home and so that they could grow. We didn't hoard it. We weren't stingy. Come on. We believe in faith. That if we obey the principles of God, even in a pandemic, in a snowstorm in Denver with a broken water main and no coffee, <laughs> Jesus can still move. Where's my basketball? All right, we're gonna, I want to do a message this morning called Church on Offense. And uh, I, I, I want you to understand as I, as, I, as I do this that defense is still important. Like, I don't want you to misunderstand me and I'll talk about it. But it's, it's not the same as offense in that if you can have a defense and no offense and still lose. You can have a defense and no offense and not understand why you were even born. You can be stingy, defensive, and insecure and never experience true freedom. I want you to understand that defense is important. But without offense, we become inactive and irrelevant. Number one, the church by and large has become a team that only runs defense. The church around the world right now, 70% of the church is in decline. Now there are movements and there are churches that are growing all over the world. I mean, across, around the world. And charismatic, spirit-filled theology and, and churches are the fastest growing segment of church on the globe. But across the board, from denominations to independence, the church is actually in decline. Because without an offensive gospel, church becomes a game of survival and not success. We're not just called to survive. As a matter of fact, we may not survive doing the will of God. God's will may be to take us into places that we don't want to go. 
or sacrifice in ways that we don't want to sacrifice. But we weren't called to survive. We were called to thrive and live in abundance while we burn for Jesus, even if while we burn it all up, you remember in the end we win, we're going to heaven, but we're not supposed to just survive. There's a song I was listening to on the way in this morning. I've never bounced a ball on this platform. And I know the sound guys are worried that it's going to throw some kind of bass. Oh, it's not too bad. That's not too bad. Um, I was listening to a song this morning. I can't remember who it's by. I think it was Hezekiah Walker. Um, I am, I'm more than a conqueror. And this is, this is what happens in the church without offense. We, we start to be like the song. This, the words of the song go, I am not a conqueror. Don't call me a conqueror. I am not a conqueror. Please don't call me a conqueror. Do not call me a conqueror. That's basically the words of the song. And then the last line is, because the Bible says that I'm more than a conqueror. So if all I want to do, if I have a second best, I can just conquer kind of spirit, we're going to miss the more. God wants us to live in the more. He does. Because if we don't, we won't have bread to pass out to the pastors all over the world. We won't be feeding other congregations and other continents. We won't be taking care of 10, 20, 30, 40 churches in the Denver metro area, which we do because they're our friends and they would do the same for us. But we're the ones that have found ourselves in a place of plenty and blessing and our church was growing and the money's coming in and God's moving. And so we don't hoard it. We're not afraid. We just start to sow it because we want to live in the more. If you don't want to live in the more, don't sow. So... We all know what the Great Commission is. The Great Commission, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Now, if you don't know what the Great Commission is, there's a moment in Scripture where Jesus speaks to Peter and tells Peter what the purpose of the church is. And I want you to listen to this. He says, and I'm going to read it actually from the Message Bible because I love it this morning. And now I'm going to tell you who you are, who you really are. Now, now, I can tell you who you are. I can look down and I can see, you know, I can see my friends, my family, my staff that's sitting here. I can look down at at my friend Kyle who's sitting at the front row and leads our parking ministry today. And the reason I know that Kyle is living in the moor is because if I told Kyle in the middle of a snowstorm, in the middle of a pandemic, when there's nobody in the church, if I said, Kyle, I want you to go out into the parking lot and just stand there in the middle of 18 degree weather in a blizzard, just in case one person showed up, Kyle would look like a Yeti. He would Yeti himself and he would stand in that parking lot because that parking lot, if that has one person in that, that's the spirit he has. If there's one person that needs a car parked, I, they can have any parking lot spot they want. We have like hundreds of them. You can have anyone you want, but I will walk you there. That's the more. That's the dream team. That's the more. But he says, and now listen to this. And now I'm going to tell you that you are who you really are. That's who he really is. He's not just a, a, a guy who serves. He goes above and beyond into the more. You are Peter, a rock. And this is the rock in which I will put together my church. He says, upon you, Peter, I'm going to put my church together. Now check this out. A church that's so expansive, not small, not shrinking, not declining, 
a church that is so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. So it's, it's a picture of we're on offense and the gates of hell, the devil and some of his, his junior varsity demons, his JV, they are trying to keep us out. But we have so much energy and we're so expansive that there's nothing they can do to keep us away from the goal. It's just not, it's just not possible. You, you can't keep me away from the goal because there's so much spiritual energy. See, a church that is bursting from the inside out with spiritual fire and spiritual energy is a church that can do anything that God calls them to do. As long as we believe that that power within us, the Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit, has been given to us for a reason and a purpose. But a defensive church has lost its purpose. It takes energy to go on defense or on offense, it really does. But it takes more energy to live your life on defense. People who spend their life on defense waste energy. They waste time. They, they, they think about things too much. They overthink too much. They're constantly offended. There's constantly something going on. And can I tell you, and we've heard this in my church, that we have a no drama policy that we break every day. But, but to live your life on defense is way more, takes way more energy than to get inspired and to drive forward on offense. Because you just, it affects you emotionally. It affects you spiritually. Churches on defense lose touch with their mission. Churches on offense know the mission and sacrifice for it. Churches on defense are less relevant and outdated. Churches on offense change and adapt as needed to accomplish what God has called them to do. Churches on defense talk a lot about the glory days. Churches on offense run into the future with great faith for new exploits in God. Churches on defense are held back by their traditions. Churches on offense evaluate traditions in the light of what is best for the next generation. Probably one of the most important principles that you could ever experience is to wake up every day and say, it's not about me. It's about the next generation. Really the only people here today are the youth team down here in the front row. Bunch of, are you alive? You were alive a minute ago. Did you dance yourself out? Come on. It's for the next generation. It's, it's, uh, I remember one of, the, one of the statements that somebody made to me a couple of years ago is how does it feel to go from being a son to a father in the city? Because I used to consider myself a son of all my spiritual fathers. And then one day I woke up and I was a father and I keep saying to myself, there's no way I can be a father because I don't have any gray hair yet. And then I looked in the mirror and a miracle happened. My gray hair showed up. I remember when I, when I used to play basketball, I loved basketball. It was my favorite sport. Uh, I remember when I went from a player to a coach, just for, just for a, a couple, of, couple of moments. It's a different experience. But we have to be thinking about what's next. Churches on defense, they don't know what's next. So they just, they just defend. And they ultimately just start defending things that aren't even there anymore. 
They just think people are attacking. They just think there's something going on, but there's not because they're not on offense. They're not causing any problems for the devil. Churches on defense are easily offended. Churches on offense don't have time to be offended. Churches on defense are no fun. They're no fun to be around because they never have anything to celebrate. Churches on offense know how to celebrate the wins. Come on, somebody. Churches on defense live to defend their theology. Churches on offense live for and share the gospel. But people, I'll never forget, I was, I was speaking at a conference once, once my wife was with me. And after the first service in the morning, we preached, God moved, and I preached on the Great Commission, actually, I remember. When it was all over, the guy who was running the conference sat down with me at lunch and he says, hey, can you do me a favor? I said, sure. He says, can you just not preach on evangelism? And I said, okay, but I'm kind of an evangelist right now. That was my season. I said, why? He says, well, you know, it's just not my theology. My theology is the church is going to uh, apostatize and we're all just kind of kind of wait around for Jesus to come back and and um, I, I, you know, the apostles failed and, and the failure and then this premillennial dispensation, whatever. And, and I said, oh, wow. I said, okay. I said, I'll tell you what we're going to do then. I'm just going to give you the ball. I'm going to get in my car and go home. Because I can't stand in front of a group of people and tell them to not win other people to Christ. You see... I remember sitting there with him for 30 minutes debating theology. When I was in Bible college, we would sit around for hours and debate theology. And I'm telling you, some of you who are listening right now, you know who you are. We would have these debates in Bible college that would go for years on theology stuff, doctrinal stuff that didn't win anybody to Jesus, but it did end a few of our relationships, didn't it? We're still not friends. Don't you think there's a problem with that? When we sit around and talk about Revelation 20 and whether or not there's one, uh, one resurrection or two resurrections or whether I'm a, a post this or a millennial this, or don't you think that all of the arguments and the fights that people have, don't you think that they pale in comparison to the call to win one soul to the Lord Jesus Christ? Give me the ball and you keep your theology. That's why there are churches on defense. And I love Christians. I'm a Christian. There's 20 Christians here this morning. The mighty 20. But can I just, I, I just want to say to you that there's millions of people who don't know Jesus right now. Millions. And churches on offense understand that. They keep the great commission. They keep serving people and helping people. They keep that at the forefront. They put relationship as believers in front of theology or doctrinal differences. There's something that just makes me ill. When I walk into a Christian bookstore, there aren't many of those left, and I just look on the shelf and I just see a bunch of books written about other Christians and how they disagree. I get upset when I drive through town. Come on, there's nobody in here. I don't, I don't see any faces. Usually faces keep me kind of balanced. 
But there's, there's, really, there's really only the radicals are here. This is not good. <laughs> I, get, I get upset when I go down the street and I look up on reader boards in churches that have a different theolo- theological background as I do. And their, their sermons are things like Brian Houston and Hillsong and Rick Warren and other heretics in the kingdom of God. It bothers me. It bothers me. Do you know why? Because we should quit fighting and judging each other and do what the Great Commission called us to do, which is preach the gospel all over the world. The Great Commission is not get in a room and name each other and complain about each other. Somebody give me the ball. I got, I got the ball. And the people who run with me on my team, the people who walk with me, the people who run the plays with me, the people, they understand that we are not backing up the whole time. This is not how I live. I live forward. I lead, if this was a fight, I lead with my face. You're not supposed to do that, but I got Jesus. I just, life is this. It's, it's crossing the center court line and knowing what the goal is. Sorry, it's the truth. And in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of a snowstorm in my city, I just wanna know who wants the ball. Who wants the ball? Because churches who want the ball are gonna live on point. They're gonna live on mission. So we gotta be careful with the theology part. Churches on defense maintain territory. Churches on offense expand territory. Churches on defense love to soak in the presence of God. Now don't get me wrong, I love love the presence of God. Now some of you, I'm speaking right to you in the camera right now. Some of you have not been in the presence of God in a long time. Now I want you to just, just listen. I spent a lot of Sundays at home on my couch watching myself preach. That was the worst experience of my life. You know, cause no one likes to just sit and watch themselves preach. Um, But at some point, we have to stir our spirit and get back into the game. Now, the game may not be that you show up here and sit in the balcony or wherever you got to sit, but but can I tell you something? The presence of God is an ever-present reminder that we are on this planet for a reason. I love the presence of God, the presence of God, but the presence of God is just so that we can hoard it to ourselves and we can just soak in the presence of God and every day get up and have a bless me service. I love it when Jesus blesses me. I spend hours in the presence of God. I love the presence of God, but the presence of God is never gonna say to you, please don't ever move from your couch because I can't find you if you move from your couch. The Holy Spirit knows where you are. Churches on defense soak in the presence. Churches on offense partner with the presence and there's a difference. We partner with God's presence to move mountains. People who soak get blessed. People who partner move mountains. See, when I sit in the presence of God, I I usually, I used to back in the old days, I used to keep a, a little note card in my pocket Because when I would worship, I'm in the presence of God, all of a sudden I'd get annoyed because God would start speaking to me. If I I needed an answer to a problem that I could not solve, it almost always came in the middle of a worship service. 
and I'd be worshiping, and then I would have to take it out and write it down. And then we got into the season of digital recorders. So I had a little digital recorder back in 1820. Um, and then I would pull out the digital recorder, and I would say, Jesus just said blah, 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 blah. Put it away. Now I've got my iPhone. When I'm in a service and the presence of God is blessing me, do you know what happens? I get ideas. I get vision. Because after he blesses me, I want to bless the world. That's the Abrahamic covenant. You're gonna, I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing. And so then he'll start thinking, I'll start thinking, oh, church growth, small groups, devote groups, evangelism, outreach. Um, and all of a sudden, I have to start writing things down while I'm in the presence of God because churches who love to soak get blessed. Churches who partner move mountains. That's how we hear from the Lord. Churches on defense never improve on offense. But churches on offense are passionate about defense and light of the implications of an effective offense. In other words, if I'm an offensive church, I understand defense. But defense in the world that I live in is I'm taking the ball from you. It's not I'm gonna defend everything. It's get too close, I'm taking the ball. Defense, defense, in football, defense wins games. That's how the Broncos won a Super Bowl. Defense wins games. Get too close to my defense, you're going to lose the ball. Because I'm going to full court press the devil. You know what defense is? Defense is getting the enemy to attack you where you want them to, to make them the most vulnerable. A full court press is when you, you charge them and you move them into a corner. They're on offense, you're on defense, but you move them into a corner so they can't pass. I'm taking the ball. The devil lives, the Bible tells us, cornered. And the Bible says he feels he's cornered because he knows that he has a short time. We're taking the ball. Defense is important. Defense is the action of defending or resisting an attack. Now, I love this verse. All right, check this out. You all know this, but I'm going to read it in a different version called The Voice, Isaiah 54, verse 17. But no instrument forged against you will be allowed to hurt you. That's defense. You have some principles from Scripture. You, you're, you live for God, and if you live for God, God's way, God's word, then no weapon formed against you is going to, is going to prosper, right? But I love the next part. And no voice raised to condemn you will prosecute you. Because really, where is our warfare? Is, really, is our warfare um, just in sitting here and, and maybe I, I, I'm struggling with my finances or whatever? No, our warfare is in words and it's people who attack, who prosecute, who make us insecure, who don't support us, who don't encourage you. They only criticize but when you are on defense and you're doing it God's way, no voice raised to condemn you will be allowed to prosecute you. Are you hearing? It's that simple. That's what the voice says. So we understand defense is important because we don't want to be accused or condemned because Jesus has died for all that. Look at Ephesians chapter 6. Now I love Ephesians chapter 6. Because defense looks like this. Finally be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. 
put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. So the armor of God is defense. Like if you're going into battle, you don't take off your armor and beat people with it. You know what I'm saying? That's so, the, that's so when, they, when they try to get you with a sword, they, you're protected. So defense is important. What is the armor of God? I love this, verse 14. Stand firm. There are times where you have to stand. With the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place. All of these little, these actions, these, all, all of these are important in place. With your feet fitted with the readiness, the readiness. Everyone say readiness. The readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith which can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So we have all of this stuff that helps us to defend. Now, okay, a little more on, on defense, and, and I'll, I'll try to go quickly. Actually, I won't, because I don't care today. Because my basement is flooded. We're basically an ark. All of us are animals in the ark. And we're floating through Denver preaching the gospel. Okay? I don't care. Um, so the word for scheme, so you put on all that stuff so that you can protect yourself against the schemes of the enemy. I love this word, and I think it's one of the most important words in Scripture when it comes to, to defense. The word scheme is the word methodia. It's where we get the word method, method, so that you can withstand the method of the enemy. Let me define methodia for you. A crafted, organized scheme or play. Are you with me? Designed to fake you into chasing the wrong thing and opening a path to what you are defending. So in football, this is called a fake handoff, right? You've seen this. If I'm the quarterback and I'm running, I fake to this person, this person acts like they have it, and they run, and then the, the defense chases the wrong person. But what it does is it opens up a path to what you're defending. So the schemes of the enemy are deceptions. Deceptions. You'll know that you're being faked out when you attack people you should be defending and let people into your life that don't have your best interest in mind. You'll know that you're faked out when you spend more time talking and cussing people out in your car when you are alone than listening to worship music to build up your spirit. You know you're getting faked out. And this is where it comes to things like finance. You know you're being faked out when America spends more money on dog food, Christians spend more money on dog food than they do giving to the church. Only 3% to 5% of Christians tithe in the church. We're chasing something that actually doesn't exist while we've opened up a path for the enemy to come in and, and start to mess with it. And listen to me, there are only three enemies that, that we gotta worry about. We make everything an enemy. That's another thing that Christians do. Christians that are on defense, everybody is an enemy. Like everybody wants to hurt you. Everybody wants to steal your stuff. 
There's only three. The world, this is what the Bible says, the world, the world system, don't do things the world's way. Don't run your finances the way that the world tells you to run your finances. God has an economy, and by the way, Jesus talked about finances and money more than any other subject in the New Testament. People don't know that. That's why we have verses like, where your treasure is, I'm going to find your heart there. I'm looking for your heart. It's not in the church. It's not in the Great Commission. It's not in the missionaries all over the world. It's not in feeding the poor. It's not in clothing the naked. It's not in helping your city. It's not in serving the people who need to be served. It's not in delivering uh, people from human trafficking and uh, uh, a modern abolition. It's not there. It's not anywhere. Instead, our money is over here because we're doing things that we like and somehow we got faked out. The world faked us out. And then there's the flesh. Does any of the 20 people in this room ever struggle with your flesh? That's why the Bible says you need to fast. Fast because if you do, you will overcome the flesh and you will overcome temptation. You gotta battle the flesh. We think that we need things that we don't, it's a fake. We think we're going places God never designed us to go, it's a fake. We think that we're called to do things that God never called us to do, it's a fake. And we spend our lives building our own kingdom, doing our own stuff, using the gifts that God gave us that were given to us to build the kingdom, to build our kingdom over here. And we're chasing somebody that doesn't even have the ball and we've opened up a pathway to our heart and we lose everything. And we wake up one day and we realize that we haven't done anything significant for the kingdom of God and the excuse that we use is grace. It's okay. God forgave me for everything, even my apathy. This has nothing to do with grace. This has everything to do with this is how you played the kingdom of God your whole life. Like this. You won't find this in the Bible. You know what I'm saying? I'm trying to think of a good warfare song. I can't think of one. Kill the devil. Fight the bad guy. Don't trip. While you're, you, by the way, my wife did an incredible message one time called leading backwards. You can't lead doing this because you're always insecure about where you're stepping. Nobody knows who to follow. And then one day, church is on defense. Instead of leading the world, changing the world, they just find a little back door. that they didn't even know was there until they backed up so far. I'm here. This is not how God has called us to live. There are five players on our team and I want you to understand what it is that we're called to do. There's something called a fast break. Technically, it's called a transition offense. I need you five people right here in the front row to come on up and join me for a second, okay? Come on. I don't have all my props today, but I got my youth team. I had basketball hoops and everything. It's probably good because I was going to try and take a shot and I probably would have missed. 
but I had it all worked out. There's a thing called a transition offense. A transition offense is that strategic moment when you transition from defense to offense. But before the enemy can organize, now listen to this. Before the enemy can organize, you are already on the move. That's what a fast break is. We're, we're not called to just run plays right now in 2020. We need to fast break the devil. And some people are slow dribbling their way back to church, slow dribbling their way back to the presence of God. When, when you run a fast break, you pass, you don't dribble because there's no time. There's some people that are on a slow dribble back into the kingdom of God as if the kingdom of God has come to a screeching halt. As if Jesus was wearing a mask, he's not. Transition offense is important. Here's the greatest transition moment in history. Matthew 28, verses 5 and 6. And the angel said to the woman, don't be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified, but he's not here. He's already on the move. While people are still searching in the tomb and the enemy is still trying to, before the enemy can organize, Jesus is already on the move. He's already showing up to Thomas to explain things to him. He's going to pop over to the road to Emmaus and talk to a couple of disciples. And he's going to jump into a room. He's going to get them all together. And he's going to spend 40 days telling them how to build the kingdom of God. in a resurrected body. He's, he's already on the move. I know you're looking for Jesus. I know, but he's not here for he is risen just like he said he was going to do. Transition offense, fast break, basically means this. Don't miss the moment. A fast break happens fast. It happens instantaneously. The, the enemy takes a shot. And now they have no play because they ran their play to get to the goal. They have no play, but you have a play and it's already in place. Some people are just waiting, waiting, waiting. If I just wait a little longer, it'll be okay. If, it, if I wait a little longer, it's going to make me feel better. It's going to be more comfortable. If I wait a little longer, I won't make any mistakes because I don't want to be on the blooper reel. You know what I'm saying? If I just wait a little longer, I'd rather be on the reel of me making a blooper than to never make the reel at all. You don't have to wait for heaven. Everybody's like, I'll just wait. I, I love this. You don't have to wait for heaven to reap the benefits of the cross. The cross is a transition. The cross is transition offense. The enemy will miss. Don't miss the moment. Okay.
five players, and then we're going to wrap this up. Kyle, your prayer. I want you to come and stand right here. Does anybody believe in prayer? Kyle's prayer. That's all he does is pray. I call him all the time. He never answers. Yeah, I used to think he was ghosting me, but then I found out he was just laying in the middle of the street praying. Prayer. His beautiful wife, Daniel, one of our worship leaders, you're, you're going to be scripture because you keep him balanced. You come right over here. You right over here. Just stand right there, okay? Scripture. Our first player is prayer. Our, our next player is scripture. Our third player is the local church. Kai, you help me plant this church. I want you to stand right over there where that light is, okay? That's local church. I have pictures of Kai when he was six years old dragging buckets of cables through a hotel. You know, he couldn't even hardly drag it. He's only six. and He hasn't grown much since then, so he still has a heart. But just dragging that thing, right? Local church. And you, my friend, you're the devil. No, I'm just joking. Come here. You get to be the gospel. You're the gospel. You're the gospel. I want you to come right over here. You're the gospel. Stand right there. Gospel doesn't move. And you... You get to be generosity. I want you to stand right here. So we have five players on the court, and they're spaced out wrong, and all the basketball people are like, well, he put them in the wrong place. Get over it. It's just a story, and I don't have a hoop, okay? Just, just relax. Don't call plays. It's okay. Grace. Um, but this message is about generosity. This next four weeks is about generosity. I, I thought this morning I, I, when this happened, I pulled out a piece of paper and a pen. I wrote a whole new message 20 minutes before the service started, and it didn't feel right. I wrote down a bunch of principles in my heart that I've internalized about giving. And... What you're going to hear, what you're going to hear in the next message is you're going to hear the miracle, the miracles that we have experienced financially over the last 11 years. Because there are some things that you can't budget your way out of, you can only give your way out of. And when we started this church, when you don't have anything to really budget, you just take what you have and you give it. Everything that we experience, I would even go so far as to say a huge part of our ministry and the reason why we're able to do some of the things that we do is because those principles are real. The ones that in my head, I almost preached them, but I'm going to do them later, is that things like the Bible says, to the extent that you use what I give you, it will be pressed down, shaken together. I want you to imagine a bucket full of like beans, right? Or, or something. And you put some in, you shake it to get all the air out and you pour more in, you shake it to get all the air, you pour and then there's no room left, but somebody just keeps pouring in and it pours out into your lap. That experience of living in the overflow does not happen unless you sow, you over sow. The more you sow. So generosity, things like the, the Bible says in Leviticus that there's a portion of everything that just belongs to God. 
Why do, we want to, why do you want to keep it? Malachi says, why don't you just test me? Test me. If I won't open the floodgates of heaven, come on, it's already started prophetically downstairs in our building right now. I won't open the floodgates of heaven over your life and provide everything that you will need. I could go through 20, Abraham and the tithe. People say, well, the tithe, the tithe is under the law. That's why I don't, I don't tithe. People, come on. Everything's under the law. That's why we need grace. Everything's now under grace. What do you think? If I don't get baptized, I'm not going to go to heaven? If I get saved and get hit by a car and I don't get baptized, I don't go get to heaven? It's called baptismal regeneration. Totally false. Did you know that everything is under grace? I don't know why I did that. (laughs) Everything is under grace. That doesn't mean that we don't do it. People say, oh, the tithe's under the law. No, it's not. The tithe... The first tithe was given by Abram 400 years before Moses brought the the law down from the mountain. It is not under the law, it is pre-law. It existed before the law, and it was a response of the heart of Abram, who had become Abraham, who said, I'm just going to, I got to meet Melchizedek today. You don't know who Melchizedek is, is okay? It's Jesus. It's called a Christophany. There's three times, maybe four or three times in in the Old Testament where Jesus showed up. Once with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire. And then there was a fourth guy in the fire, right? Brighter than the fire. This is another one. Abraham met Melchizedek. And he was so overwhelmed by the priest, the great high priest, that he said, I'm going to give you a tenth of everything that I have. That was the first tithe. And it wasn't out of the law. It was out of an abandoned, overwhelming gratefulness from the heart of Abraham. To get, It all belongs to God anyways. Do what you want, Jesus. And then the tithe has never changed. So people argue with the only 4 or 5% of the church tithes. Not our church. I mean the worldwide church. 4 or 5%. You know why? Because we've been faked out. I have all the numbers. I actually have all the numbers, and I'm going to read them to you either next week or the week after. I have all the, all the stats, all of the numbers for the church. Could you imagine if the, if the church were to tithe this year, just Christians, just the Christian church, if just the Christian church tithe this year, that would be $3 trillion for gospel kingdom work. But instead of 10% or instead of 100% of the church, it's 5% of the church. So this is about generosity. So I want you to turn around and face this way. Everybody face this way. Actually, in real offense, you would actually be facing this way. You would actually be way over here. So let's just do this right because some basketball persons can't even hear me right now. You'd be facing this way. You would be face, facing that way. And you would be right over here under the hoop waiting for the ball. One of our friends, Julie McGinnis, was talking about her little boy who I love. He's playing soccer. And uh, he's smaller than the other kids on the team because he's a little younger and he couldn't get a goal. So she just said, hey, come here. Don't worry about anything that the coach says. Go down there and just stand next to the goal and wait for the ball. 
Did you know that in God's offense, if we're running it right, we just get to go down to the goal. Just waiting, because it's coming. So, generosity, the greatest act in the kingdom of God. For God so loved the world that uh, he gave his only son that we could have everlasting life. The whole kingdom of God, the church, everything was started with generosity. Generosity. Generosity is under the hoop. The enemy dribbles down. They take a shot. And while the enemy is reorganizing, we already have a play. Generosity, prayer, scripture, local church. We already have a, we already have a, a play. These are called lanes. So here comes the ball. You ready? You're going to go from here over to what were you? The gospel. Oh, I like that. Generosity leads to the gospel. Everyone say gospel. Gospel, you're going to go to prayer. Prayer, you're going to go to scripture. Scripture, you're going to go to local church. And local church is going to dunk the ball in his dreams. Okay. You ready? You're going to pass. No dribble. Um, and technically, I was told by Pastor Tasha that a fast break, you only want to have two passes. That's how fast it happens. But we have five players, and we want everyone to feel apart so you all get a blue ribbon. Okay? All right, because that's the way the world works. Okay? Okay? It's not in the Bible. <laughs> there are losers in the Bible. Did you know that? Okay, I just want you to know that. I mean, there's winners, like Jesus and the church and all of us, right? But there's losers too. Anyways, okay. There's no participation ribbon for you today. Please don't be offended. I, I bought you a participation mask, okay? All right. It covers your whole face. Okay. Are you ready? Okay. Now, I want you to remember when you throw this ball that there's, a, there's about $10,000 worth of guitars right behind the gospel. Okay? So even if you don't feel confident and you have to walk over... And just under, I mean, don't hit those guitars. Okay, because we'd have to take another heart for the house. Here we go. Okay, you ready? I'm going to bounce it. Okay. Now the enemy has no play. Enemy has no play. They're only going to respond to where the ball goes. We've already responded. Okay, here we go. Come on, get that. Get it. Guitar. Gospel. Prayer. Scripture. Dunk the ball. Local church. Come on. You guys talked. Okay. We're fast breaking the devil. This is a moment. This is a moment. 2020 is a moment. The pandemic is a moment. People being discouraged is a moment. Marriages in trouble is a moment. Young people committing suicide, thinking about suicide, that's a moment. People going to the bottle instead of Jesus and becoming alcoholics, that's a moment. We're in a moment. And in a moment like this, it's time to fast break. It's not time to, time to dribble our way into, into whatever it is that God wants us to do. We just get it down the court. And in about two seconds... Okay, it's a moment. We're gonna go a little faster. Guitars. <laughs> you ready? 
The enemy has no, the enemy has no play. They just rimmed it. Are you ready? Okay. Come on, get that, get that, get that. Come on. Faster, 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 faster. This is how we're supposed to build the church. Full court. A couple more times. Here we go. You ready? Okay, here we go. All right. From Denver, Colorado to Africa. Boom, 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 boom. Let's give them 10 grand. Takes $5,000 a month for them to pay their whole staff and all their families. Did you hear what I said? Their whole staff, their whole church, five grand a month, and it feeds people in the parking lot, 600 people every Sunday, just giving out beans and rice. Most people try to get $5,000 a month for their salary. $5,000 a month pays for their entire church and all their budget. In Mexico, Pastor Eric, you'll see him next week. $5,000 a month takes care of three campuses worth of people, thousands of people, dozens of families. To us, it's like, oh, five grand. You better get over your five grand mentality and get to 500 grand if we really believe what we're called to do. Now, because I have a $10 million five-year vision and a $100 million 10-year vision. My finance guy just clapped. I love that guy. You know why I love him? Because he's the real deal. He's a more, he's a more overflow from the White House to the Pearl Church. It didn't go the other way. There's a story there. He could be sitting in Washington, D.C., but that's not where I'd want to be right now, bro. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Are you ready? Mexico needs help. They sent me a video. They have two weeks left of finances. They need $5,000, $5,600 to pay the bills for the entire church, pay all the salary. See? We don't have time to mess around. Go. Come on. Come on, gospel, prayer, scripture, five grand. Good job, Sherry. Didn't know you were a hooper or a hoop. <laughs> I'm almost done. I don't know if I can do this again, second service people. You ready? Okay. Denver, Colorado. God's moving in revival. We need prayer. We need outreach. There are a lot of people that we gotta feed. We're gonna feed a thousand people for Thanksgiving. It's more than we've ever fed in just two weeks, three weeks at our vision, Heart for the Last Offering. We gotta feed a thousand people, all right? It's gonna cost us about 10 grand. And, uh, and then we have Christmas and we have about 200 kids that we're gonna buy Christmas gifts for. Those are, you know, that's, that's what I'm believing, right? Okay. Last year we raised 300,000. No pandemic. I don't even care. This year, I want to, that was one, that was just in the offering. I want to do 500,000 this year in a pandemic because some people need to stop dribbling their way into the kingdom of God. Denver needs Jesus. Let's go. Come on. Let's go. 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 This is the way we should be. See, come on, one more time. This is how we should be acting. Like, like I, need, I need the congregation to stop waiting and stop hollering at the coach. Come on, coach. Come on, coach. Come on. Why are your players so slow? 
coach, don't you know the play? I know the play. I'm a pastor. I have a Bible degree. What's wrong with you, coach? Come on, let's go, let's go. Don't, don't you fumble that. There we go. Come on, let's go, let's go. Come on, come on, scripture. This is how we're supposed to live. Who wants to be an offensive church? Okay. I'm like 6,000 feet asthmatic. This is how we're supposed to live, okay? I'm wrapping it up. I'm done. Here's the thing. We're going to take an offering right now, our normal tithes and offerings, Pastor Malia. Come. And uh, I want you to do this. In three weeks, we're taking our offering. This is not a time to go on defense. It's not a time to be unwise either. It's not. The biblical word for finance is actually stewardship. It has a Greek word, a Hebrew equivalent. We're supposed to be good stewards. But at the same time, folks, we're supposed to believe God that he is, he is not gonna leave us in scarcity, but he's gonna move the church forward in times of scarcity and stress, times when things are uncertain, God becomes more certain. We double down on his principles. We don't do this. This is not how we work. And by the way, I'd rather have a whole bunch of you start giving regularly to the ministry than giving the offering. Because offerings are easy. You just go see what you got. You grab something, you drop it in. I'd rather have God check your heart every four weeks and just learn how to be a giver. We've given our whole life. We've given our whole life. My wife and I, from the day we got married, and we've never given as little as 10%. Even when I made $1,000 a month, my rent was 700. My food was like 2,000. <laughs> we still gave. God was always faithful. I just want you, to, I want you to experience this. I want you to get over some of the intellectual arguments that we have. Just start with something and start sowing and giving because all that we have, don't be a renter, be an owner. Renters like to call other people and tell them to fix everything. Owners, when they pay for it, they'll show up and do, it, do the work as a volunteer because they understand how important every dollar is to the kingdom of God. So I love you. I'm gonna pray. Pastor Malia, where are you? Come on over here. Uh, I'm gonna pray for the offering first. I'm gonna mess it up. And then I'm gonna have you just kind of direct people on how to do this. Bow your heads with me. Father, in Jesus' name, as the pastor of this church, I say, give me the ball. Lord, give us the ball. Give us the ball. Not because we think we're all that, but because we know who we are not. And we know who we are in you. And because it's, it's all about your word and your principles not about us. But if we stand on what we know is true, if we open the Bible and we read your economy, we understand how the kingdom of God works. It makes me want to be a part of it. Give us the ball. 
Call us to do whatever you want us to do, Jesus. Come on, give us more countries. Give us unreached people groups. Give us people in our own city who are hurting and broken and deceived and are following a fake. Lord, Lord, send us into wherever you want us to go and cause us to minister to whoever you want us to minister to. Jesus, just give us the ball. I pray, Lord, you bless our house and bless our church. I pray that we would always use, sow, and give what you've given to us because I know that if we do, you will continue to bless. And Father, four weeks from now, I pray that you'd help all of us to know and to understand what it is that you've put on our hearts to give in heart for the house this year. I'm so grateful, 11 years, 11 years of heart for the house offerings. The first one was $70,000, then 90, then 100, then 300, 400, 500. And Father, all you've done is bless. So we love you, we honor you. Bless this offering today. Everyone who's online, everyone who's listening today, I pray that the Lord would speak to you. I pray, Father, that we would find our lane on this team because we have a job to do. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen, amen. Thank you.